Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Jesus' first trial in the garden ends with his arrest, but the trials are just beginning. He will face six trials after this, so that makes a perfect seven, but his first trial was there, and, and, and listen, he passed this one with flying colors. He, he, you could not have done better than he did. Here we are in the Gospel of Mark, looking at the last half of chapter 14. Today's study, which is part one of a message Pastor Sam has entitled Gethsemane, begins in verse 32, and it'll take us right up to Jesus' arrest. So let's listen in. Mark 14, 32 through 72, title Gethsemane. Jesus' warning that all would forsake him, that one would betray him, absolutely devastated his disciples. And as they begin to ask, is it I, is it I, could it be me? He went on in the very next section, and this is in John's gospel, not here in Mark, so I'm just filling in a little bit of the blanks for us. He went on to say to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's John 14. In John 15, he talked about the importance of abiding in him so they could bear fruit for him. And in the midst of all that, he says, listen, love one another as I've loved you. And John uh, 17, his high priestly prayer, and that's going to lead us into our study today. Jesus prayed first for himself that the Father would glorify him so he could glorify the Father. He prayed for his immediate disciples that the Father would keep them, not from the trials, not from the temptation, but from the evil one himself. And then he prayed for us. How so? He prayed for all who would believe in him through them and through their words. We are included in that group. And he prays for us that we would be kept by him and that we could be with him and see the glory he had with the Father before the world began. Well, here in Mark 14, 32, they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. They were there in the city. They went out the eastern gate. They passed over the Kidron Valley. They began to ascend that little range that would ultimately lead out to Bethany. And on the way, there was a garden Jesus often went to with his disciples. That's significant because if he wanted to hide or get away or, or protect himself in any way, he could have gone anywhere else, but Judas knew this is where Jesus would be. Judas knew this is where he could lead those who wanted to arrest Jesus in order to do so. So Gethsemane, the word means olive press. There are olive groves there, some of them exceedingly old. Some will say these could have been here in the time of Jesus, and certainly it's true they could have, though unlikely, sadly, because 
Josephus, a historian of the day, tells us that when Titus came and destroyed the city in 70 AD, he burned all of the trees in the vicinity. In any case, they're there in the oil press, the place where they would take those, those, um, what do, what, olives, thank you very much. <laughs> I knew it would come back to me. That's scary when it's that simple and that clear that you all knew. <laughs> Feel free to shout it out. Anyway, um, <laughs> had the grandkids. It's, it's early in the morning and late last night. So uh, anyway, that's where they would take the olives. They would press them and draw that beautiful olive oil. They used it for hospitality, they used it medicinally. We still use it today. I wanna to say olive oil makes a mean quesadilla. And so uh, it's always been useful and it's useful today. They come to Gethsemane. He says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James and John with him. It's not the first time we've read that. We saw this on the Mount of Transfiguration. The rest at the bottom, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up that mountain where they have a little uh, insight. They're given insight into a board meeting where Jesus is meeting with Moses and Elijah. And what's the subject? They are discussing his demise. The word is actually Exodus. They talked about how he would bring his people out of bondage, even as Moses had brought his people in those early days out of Egypt and the bondage to Pharaoh. How would Jesus do it? Well, back in Moses' day, they had to slay a lamb and apply the blood. And when the death angel passed through, the firstborn would be spared. They would all escape alive. In Jesus' day, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would have to be crucified. His blood would have to be spilled. And they discussed all that. Well, there's more to that story, but it's a story for another time. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch. Then he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Listen, he says, all things are possible. That just means nothing is too hard for the Lord. In fact, the scriptures declare that very thing. And while there, there, there isn't anything God couldn't do, there are some things God absolutely will not do. And one of them was to spare his son because the very purpose of his coming was to bleed and die on Calvary's cross so we could be forgiven our sin, restored to relationship with him, and have a relationship forever have that life that only is found in his son. So there was no plan B to save you and to save me. That's why Jesus said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. 
It's so important that we see it. Some have suggested that Jesus was saying all this in the flesh. It, it was the, the torture and, and the physical aspects that he shrunk back from. And listen, I'm certain there's a part of him that's going through that just as we would. But Jesus' greater issue was knowing that the sin of mankind was about to be put on him, that he would bear our sins so they could be forgiven. How tragic that he paid for all and yet all won't receive him. How, how tragic that he, he died that none might perish, but that all would come to repentance. And yet many have refused down through the decades and the centuries and such, and, and they still do today. Well, as all of this is going on, um, he take this cup, nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? It's important. Simon was his given name. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. Simon means a reed. The rock had suggested, hey, if all forsake you, I will never forsake you. But he's taking him back and he's saying, listen, you're only a rock if you're standing on the rock. Otherwise, you're just another reed blowing in the wind. And when he calls him Simon, there's good reason for it. For he's about to vacillate and about to fall and he's about to prove Jesus right and himself wrong. And he says, are you sleeping? Oh, we get all these others. You know, we know they're not made of the same stuff as Peter. Could you not watch one hour? Oh, that verse has so busted me. I am someone who so struggles to pray for an hour. I'll tell you why. I don't want you to misunderstand. If I get on my knees next to my bed, it seems the bed is almost at a perfect height that after a while I lean on it and then I lean into it and then I wake up with a crick in my neck. I know some of you can relate. It's the same for you. But here's what I've learned. I'm actually capable of praying for an hour or longer as long as I'm walking while I pray. It makes a huge difference. And over the years, taking many walks with many people, I prefer that to sitting in an office where, you know, if we're together and we're in an office and you're talking to me, after about five minutes, I see your mouth moving, but I don't hear anything. I'm just in a daze. But walking, I stay clear. I can hear. I can pray. And so many times I'll go with someone, we'll walk. I'll pray for a while. I'll think that's about it, Lord. But then, then well, the one I'm walking will, will take over and then it'll come back to me. And I want to encourage you. And then when he says, couldn't you watch with me an hour? That is not a long time to pray. If I were to say, how many of you think an hour is a long time to pray? If, well, I don't want you to have to raise your hands because it's like, how many wouldn't do it? But here's what I know for sure is we've watched most of us, not all of us, some of you are smarter and you don't even have a TV, but uh, you do watch stuff on the computer, I've been told. But uh, we've watched shows that we've watched before. I watch a basketball game and then I rewind it and watch it again. Well, you don't rewind anymore. You just go back. And, and the, the point is, an hour of basketball or, or an hour of the news or an hour of a show that we enjoy that seems to go by so fast, but an hour of prayer with the Lord, it just seems to, 
to go forever. And here's why. Because there's no spiritual attack when we're doing those things that are unprofitable. The spiritual attack comes when we're doing those things that are profitable. And so Jesus is praying and he says, stay and watch with me. The word watch means to be alert, to be awake, to be aware. Watch and pray, verse 38, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen, you can't sleep and watch and pray. You can't do them at the same time. Stay alert, stay aware. Why? Because he knows that they're about to face the greatest trial they have ever or will ever face. They are going to see him arrested. They are going to see him crucified. Their hopes will be dashed. They'll say, two of them on the Emmaus Road, we thought he was the one. Past tense. And he's there walking with them after the resurrection. Well, he came and found them sleeping. Simon, what's up with this? Then he went away, verse 39, and prayed and spake the same words to them. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. This might be the only place in scripture where Peter has no excuse and he doesn't say anything or say, oh, Lord, I was I was praying. I just had my eyes shut. There was none of that. He came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise Let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. When he says he is being betrayed, it's right now. It's not, I will be betrayed. I will be forsaken. All those were prophecies that came to pass very soon after. This is saying right now, this is going down. Immediately, verse 43, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. You wonder why they come armed to arrest Jesus, as if somehow they were going to need all that. Well, maybe they knew about Peter and they thought, just in case... But they come with swords and clubs. And and anyway, his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. One of the first things I remember uh, in Gail Irwin's Jesus style, which many of you have received and we have more on the way, was, was him talking about the fact, and I had never considered it, that Jesus didn't stand out in a crowd. He wasn't taller than everyone else. Down here, when I want you to find Pastor Jacob, I just say, look for the one who's head above everyone else. And there are a few people as tall as him, but he stands out in a crowd. Jesus wasn't taller. Jesus wasn't handsomer. Or they would just say, hey, look for the handsome guy. Or Jesus didn't glow in the dark or have a halo over his head. There weren't angels singing everywhere he went, at least not ones they could hear or see. So it's so important to get this. He had to identify him. And that's after 
three and a half years of ministry. Important to say, some of the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, they probably could have identified Jesus because they had been doing all they could to set traps for him, to dig traps for him. And, and of course, the one who digs the pit falls in it. That happened to them again and again. So at this point, the contract's been signed, the agreement's been made, the, the fees have been agreed upon, and, and Judas leads them to Jesus. In the midst of that, whomever I kiss, it says, he's the one, seize him and lead him away safely. Whomever I kiss, betrayed with a kiss. Verse 45, as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Do you know, Mark doesn't tell us everything. None of the gospel writers tell us everything. That's why we have four gospels. But one of them tells us that when he came, Jesus said, friend, why have you come? I'm wondering what's going on in, in well, Judas's heart at this point. But I know what's going on in Jesus' heart. He's still loving on Judas as he did at the Last Supper, as he took the sop and gave it to him and shared with him. He kisses Jesus. And it says, they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Luke 22 says, one of them or some of them said, should we strike with the sword? Matthew doesn't tell us who did it. Mark doesn't tell us who did it. Luke doesn't tell us who did it. But John, who writes much later, when naming names wouldn't be any danger, he says, and who's surprised by this? It was Peter. Of course it was Peter. Someone says, shall we strike with the sword? And while Jesus is saying, no, Peter's already gone. He's got his sword out. He's taken on the high priest servant who is most likely going the other direction at this point. Why? Because we know he cuts off his right ear. Most people in those days were right-handed and so can't say, you know, thus says the Lord on this, but it's likely that, that as he's looking for someone to take on, well, that guy's got a club and that guy's, you know, got his thing. And well, that high priest servant looks like someone I could take. And so he's got his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest servant. Later, by the way, because Jesus heals the ear. It's the last recorded miracle, pre-resurrection miracle of our Lord and Savior, Jesus and there are implications of it that if you're Peter are very important. Like if it goes to court, they're going to say, what's the charge? And you're going to say, well, he cut off my servant's ear and the judge is going to look and everything looks fine. Important to Peter and important to us because some of us, truth be told, have lopped an ear or two off in our day. Oh, not with the sword, not with the sword of the spirit, although some couples do have Scripture wars. Um, you, Bible says you're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church. And, and the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. And uh, anyway, if that's you guys, you really should uh, get with Cameron and, and Andrea and get, or get with Bob and, and Darcy and get with somebody who can walk through you with that 
Pam and I would do it, but we're one of the couples who need to talk to them. So anyway, anyway um, so he's, he cuts off the high priest servant ear. And, uh, and of course, Peter, he just, he's so impulsive. And, and this is a chance as well to prove himself. Remember, he said, they may all run, they may all go, but I'll be there. I'll be there for you, Lord. I'll be there and protect you. And of course, that's not what happens. Jesus answered and said, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Verse 49, I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled he says the scriptures must be fulfilled. If they were paying close attention, they might have asked the question, which scriptures is he referring to? Because everything that's going down had been prophesied just as it takes place. Only hours earlier, Jesus said, you're all going to forsake me for it is written the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said, no way, Lord. And of course, that's exactly what happens here. They all forsook him and fled. Now, all here, and we've learned that all means all, but all used to mean 12. Now it means 11. Why? Judas is no longer with them. He's with the enemy. He's with those arresting Jesus. He's with those who struck the deal for money to betray his Lord. Now, a certain young man followed him, verse 51, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. The young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, I have to say of all the verses in scripture, and there are some that seem very confusing, this one's straight up. You can read it and understand every word of it, but I can't for the life of me understand why it's here in this passage. And the only thing I can think, because people have a lot of ideas and opinions about it, I don't really want to get into the fray on that. I, I, I have had an experience that any of you in a position where you counsel or, or pray for or minister to people, you've experienced it, where someone comes and says, hey, I have this friend and, and you know, he's kind of going through this thing and, and this is happening and that's happening. And it takes about two minutes for you to realize, even if you have no discernment at all, this friend is invisible. That, that This guy is talking about himself. And I can only think that, that while I can't know, it's possible that Mark has inserted himself into the story and then if that is the case, since he gets his information, by the way, from Peter, I'm thinking of all the things you could tell people that ever happened to you, would you pick this one? <laughs> anyway, Jesus' first trial in the garden ends with his arrest. But the trials are just beginning. He will face six trials after this. So that makes a perfect seven. But his first trial was there, and, and, and listen, he passed this one with flying colors. He, he, you could not have done better than he did, because he said, if there's any other way, let's, let's go that way, Father. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Of all the questions I've been asked about God, the most common seems to be, how do I know what his will for my life is? My short answer, obey him, that's what he wants. But the Apostle Paul gives us a much more concise answer than that. He says in Romans 12 too, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, as you and I are transformed from living and thinking according to the flesh to living and thinking according to the spirit, we're gonna find ourselves walking in the spirit, or in other words, following the spirit's guidance. You will then find that God's will for your life is no mystery. The Spirit will guide you there, and you can be confident that it is God's will to walk where you are guided. And this is how we prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.